Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. And our topic today is Wisdom from Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, Part 1. We will be discussing yoga's quintessential guide for the spiritual life, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, that shows us how to find peace and to live with purpose. And once again, I am delighted to be joined by the founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Yogacharya O'Brien was ordained to teach in the Kriya Yoga tradition in 1982 by her guru, Ryujin Davis, who was a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. Yogacharya O'Brien is an internationally acclaimed spiritual teacher, author, poet, and the founder and spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a Kriya Yoga meditation center with headquarters in San Jose, California. She has published several books, including Living the Eternal Way and The Jewel of Abundance, as well as several books of poetry, including the the award-winning The Moon Reminded Me. Her online classes include Arta 365, Dharma 365, and Live the Eternal Way. Her upcoming retreat, Master Your Mind, Insights and Practices from Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, will be held April 15th to 18th. 2021 and listeners can register at csecenter.org. You can find out more about Yogacharya O'Brien's books and online programs at her author website, ellengraceobrien.com. And O'Brien is um, O-B-R-I-A-N, O'Brien.com, and csecenter.org. You can also follow her on social media on Facebook at Ellen Grace O'Brien and on Twitter at Yogacharya Live. Welcome, Yogacharya O'Brien. I'm really delighted to have you join me today on the Yoga Hour. Thank you, Dr. Trujillo, and thank you for suggesting these um, meetings about Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. May it's such a rich uh, tradition to draw from for enhancing our ability to meditate well and to live well. Yeah. So before we dive in to that dialogue, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. So let's begin right where we are, whatever we're doing, bring our attention to the body, feeling the body in space and paying particular attention to the surfaces that support the body today, 
whether it's our feet on the ground, perhaps we're sitting, we can feel the support of the chair or cushion. And just noticing, noticing the body and then bringing the attention to the breath and noticing as we take a fully conscious breath, noticing the inhale and the exhale. Not trying to change the natural flow of the breath, but just noticing on the next inhale, the cool air in the nostrils. And on the next exhale, the warm air flowing out. And as we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate, taken from Yogacharya O'Brien's book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. To meditate, use the power of the mind itself to subdue restless thoughts. This is accomplished through intention, focus, and ultimately surrender. Intend to commune with God. Focus your attention on a single point. Gently ignore thoughts that arise and surrender the sense of separation by letting go into the allness of God's presence right where you are. So once again, Yogacharya O'Brien, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. It's so delightful to speak with you today about Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, especially leading to the upcoming retreat that I mentioned, Master Your Mind, uh, April 15th to 18th. So the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali is one of the two main texts that we study with you at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. And they were also a primary teaching text for both uh, Yogan- Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, and your guru, Roy Eugene Davis. And for the purposes of this discussion, I will be using Mr. Davis's translation of the Yoga Sutras from his book, The Science of Self-Realization, A Guide to Spiritual Practice in the Kriya Yoga Tradition. So for those listeners who aren't familiar with the Yoga Sutras, Yogacharya, can you tell us about them? How old are they? And what is known about Patanjali, the compiler of these sutras? Thank you first for that beautiful meditation. It's always nice to gather ourselves a moment before we have a conversation. And that's such a good practice, and uh, you know, to do a lot before <laughs> we engage, just to take a moment to center ourselves. So thank you for that. Um, you know, the tradition, the Vedic tradition, the Hindu tradition that Yoga Sutra arises from, of course, is very um, rich, diverse, complex. And so pinpointing the exact origin of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra is not even possible, <laughs> but I'll, I'll try to, to give um, some sense of where it comes from. And I also want to recommend uh, some books for further study for people who are really interested in um, these kinds of questions, you know, like how do we position um, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra in the vast canon of Hindu scripture and Vedic teachings, yoga teachings. Um, 
so one of the recent commentaries that came out, of course, uh, you know, I uh, am very fond of my teacher's commentary that we're drawing from today and highly recommend it, especially for people who are either one in the Kriya Yoga tradition or two new to studying Yoga Sutra because he had uh, an incredible gift of making teachings crystal clear. So uh, that I recommend first and foremost. Um, but there's a new commentary, relatively new, that came out recently uh, with Edwin Bryant. And we also, I interviewed him on Yoga Hour, so you can find that um, in our archives on Yoga Hour. Um, but he goes into, uh, has a really good preface on the history of yoga and the subject matter of Yoga Sutra. And it is the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali by Edwin F. Bryant. Um, there's also commentary on Raja and Kriya Yoga by Stephen Sturgis, who is a Kriya Yogi in, in our uh, tradition of Kriya Yoga. Uh, Raja and Kriya Yoga, The Ultimate Path to Self-Realization by Stephen Sturgis. And um, he goes a lot into the origins of yoga uh, and the Yoga Sutra. And then another favorite book, and then I'll go on to answer your question, um, is really an old one. And I'm not sure that it's still in print, but it's really one of my favorite um, source books. It's very friendly in terms of, um, you know, how, how to position these ancient texts. And uh, it's called Windows into the Infinite, A Guide to the Hindu Scriptures by Barbara Powell. Um, but it's not currently in print, so you would have to, you know, do a search and find uh, probably a used copy somewhere. So um, those are wonderful resources that I think uh, a person would find helpful. So now, how do we, where do these yoga sutras come from? You know, they, they come out of um, actually what Bryant has referred to as the, um, in a sense, the Vedic matrix, you know, of the Vedas, the original teachings in the Vedas, you know, hold much of um, the origins of yoga. And this is, you know, thousands of years old. Um, but then we don't begin to find references to yoga per se, as we would recognize it today until we get into the Upanishads, which are you know, the end of the Vedas, the, the latter period of the Vedas where, you know, they took the turn into um, the philosophical uh, inquiry into the nature of reality, the nature of mind, consciousness, and, and so forth. So we find um, yoga showing up there. And then, of course, in the... Um, the epics, you know, the Mahabharata... Um, Bryant lists that there are 884 references to yoga in the Mahabharata. And some of the listeners will be aware that in, you know, the Bhagavad Gita itself is uh, an excerpt, uh, so to speak, you know, from the Mahabharata. So, and then in the Gita, you know, we find, of course, uh, many uh, insights and reflections into yoga, different kinds of yoga, bhakti yoga, uh, karma yoga, jnana yoga, raj yoga. So uh, in terms of yoga sutra, 
The Yoga Sutra is a text that is primarily focused on what we would call Raja Yoga or the yoga of the practice of meditation mm-hmm. um, as a technique um, for awakening to our essential nature, to the truth of our being. And scholars date that text, you know, anywhere in the range from uh, 200 before the Common Era to 200 of the Common Era. I would say scholars today are coalescing more around the latter date. Um, and Patanjali himself is really known as the compiler. So you can tell from what I've said in terms of this matrix out of which yoga arises, you know, it's not the invention of Patanjali or any one person at all. You know, there was a, a vast spiritual tradition that it arose out of. Um, there were um, periods of time in, in India where there were um amazing, you know, scholarly philosophical debates that were going on about this nature of reality, the mind, how one experiences it. And, you know, out of that whole philosophical discourse, um, different systems of philosophy developed. And yoga is, you know, one of those, what came to be compiled as the six, uh, orthodox systems of Indian philosophy. So yoga is one of those systems, but Tanjali is known as the compiler um, of that uh, philosophical system of yoga. The Yoga Sutra is the text um, that in a sense codifies yoga as a philosophical system. Um, But, you know, little is known about Patanjali um, because it wasn't important at that time. Right. I do appreciate that, that although it's always referred to as Patanjali's Yoga Sutra or Yoga Sutras, and yet he was not really the author in that way, as you said. I think it's great to recognize that he was the compiler, that he's mm-hmm. compiled, you know, drawn this information from a much vaster source of information, the Vedic texts themselves. So, how has your study of the Yoga Sutras helped you in your life? Hmm. I think, um, of course, I can't really separate uh, Yoga Sutra from Kriya Yoga. Right. And, um, you know, that's also because it's the primary text of Kriya Yoga. Kriya Yoga is defined um, in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra in the second chapter, which we'll talk about in our next time together. Um, And and so I would say for me, there's a couple of things. You know, one is that uh, I was looking for um, how to know truth. You know, I I really was uh, interested in the nature of reality, you know, what is God, who am I? And I had some, you know, initial, through my reading, initial exposure to Vedanta, really through Alan Watts, you know, who Uh, (laughs) was really my first exposure. I mean, I didn't know it was Vedanta at the time. I'm not sure he even called it that, but, you know, because he was, he was a great compiler himself, you know, as an Episcopal priest and um, a Zen master of sorts and um, a teacher of Vedanta. But anyway, that was like, oh, something there. Um, so I wanted to know 
how I how I could know, you know, without just taking the words of someone else. This is right. what God is. This is what you are. And so I found um, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra to be um, a guidebook, really, for the inner realms, and in particular, how to understand the nature of your own mind. Mm -hmm. And um, that has been completely life-changing. You know, for so long, I lived from the outside in, and what I wanted to learn was how to live from the inside out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we so long, you know, I think go through life sort of drifting and thinking things are happening to us that are out of our control. And, you know, while there's some of that, for sure, a lot of it is coming from within us and has to do with, um, you know, what we're holding in our own mind and consciousness. So I would say principally, I found and have found the Yoga Sutra to be uh, a life-saving manual on how to understand your own mind, how to work with it, um, how to live uh, a balanced life. It's all, it's all in there. It was the guidebook I was looking for. Mm, that's really great description. What I've realized in my own study, I've been studying with you now for 19 years. And a lot of that is, you know, around uh, the, the yoga sutra, yoga sutras and the translations as listeners will hear in a minute are pretty straightforward. They're, you know, they're the, you didn't go into this, but sutra is the same root as sutra, which is a thread. So it was originally an oral oral tradition and people, you know, it was easier to remember if it was, you know, kind of encapsulated in a very few number of words. And yet the depth is really remarkable so that I still find myself seeing new things in the same words, but seeing them in a new way, even after almost 20 years now of study with you. So um, that is a gift to have something like that, that has that, that level of depth to it. So go ahead. Yeah, I would say absolutely. And there's, um, you'll find when you get into study of the Yoga Sutra that it's, um, there's a connection between other philosophical systems um, in Indian philosophy. And one of them is the Samkhya system, which gives the whole metaphysical construct um, about, you know, how does one reality, um, one indivisible, unchanging, um, pure essence manifest as this whole world of flux and change, you know, and how uh, is it that we who are that one unchanging essence, uh, you know, appear to be born and to die? And, you know, all those questions we find um, we can learn about you know, through the study of Samkhya philosophy. And that that is a, uh, there's a conjunction between Samkhya and uh, Samkhya philosophy and the whole system of yoga philosophy. So the reason I bring that in is, you know, what you said about studying uh, Yoga Sutra for a period of years and how new things come to be. And I just want to say for people who are new either to looking at Yoga Sutra or discovering Samkhya system, there's usually a sense of, yes, you know, that happens in terms of, okay, there's one reality, here's how it expresses as all that is, you know, and I remember thinking, wow, yeah, this is it, you know, and this is, you know, <laughs> consciousness um, unfolding, the nature of the mind. Um, 
and there's a great recognition on hearing it, but when you start to study it, is it, it you know, I remember thinking, I don't get this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, um, <laughs> you know, this was, it was, it, it just felt like more than I could comprehend. Right. And, um, but that's one of the reasons for studying in, you know, in Hindu tradition, what is called a parampara, where you have a lineage of teachers through time. Um, because like the book that we're looking at from my uh, guru, Roy Eugene Davis, you know, he just kept it in front of us. And every time he would talk um, that I can recall, he would talk about um, the philosophy that you know, helps us understand how consciousness manifests as all that is, um, the basics of, uh, that come from the yoga sutra on the nature of the mind and how you learn to meditate. And then what happens over time is that as you meditate, as you practice, and this was my experience, um, the mental field becomes purified, meaning it's not so restless. It's not so dull. Um, and that's not meant as an insult. It's just a practical thing, you know, that at first the mind is kind of dull, um, because it's, it means it's clouded over. Mm -hmm. And so as you begin to practice, the mind becomes more illumined and then the teachings become clearer. So both through the purification of the mental field and also through your own experience, which is really critical. So, you know, first you read about things and you think, oh yeah, that sounds pretty good, but they don't become crystal clear until you actually begin to experience some glimmer of it yourself. And the more you do, the more it makes sense and the more, um, the more it supports you in living consciously. Right. Absolutely. That has been my experience. And sometimes having a deep experience in meditation and then thinking back to a particular sutra and saying, ah, now I get it. Now I understand what that sutra is talking about. So it gives a great framework as we explore consciousness and as we have these experiences in meditation that is that can really reinforce those experiences. It's it's very helpful that way. Mm-hmm. So today we're starting with the first chapter, Samadhi Pada, and uh, you're going to come back in a couple of weeks to continue our discussion. As you mentioned, we'll talk about the second chapter of Kriya Yoga. And we're t- starting with the very first sutra, where Eugene Davis translated as, now instruction in yoga in accord with an established tradition begins. Again, now Instruction in yoga in accord with an established tradition begins. So in Sanskrit, it is atta yoga nusashanam. So atta, this word atta, what is the significance of the word atta? And why, I mean, there aren't that many yoga sutras. So why do you think Patanjali began this compilation with this particular sutra? Stating something that on the surface just looks like, okay, now we're going to start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, it is, it is a classical way that philosophical commentaries in the Indian uh, tradition are presented. It, it, they, it starts that way. It's a classical way to begin. But it is not just uh, perfunctory. Uh, it, 
and it tells us many things. And I, I spend usually quite a bit of time with students when I'm teaching to really focus on that because the Sanskrit uh, translation of Atta is usually richer than simply the word now. Even if it was just the word now, it would be, um, it would tell us a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I often say, geez, you know, as a yogi, I wish I'd written The Power of Now um, by, you know, <laughs> Eckhart Tolle, because the whole of yoga philosophy is really contained in that word, in a sense, meaning that the experience, the direct experience of reality can only happen now. It's not, it's not in the future and it's not in the past. Why? Because those simply exist in the mind as mental constructs. So yoga, uh, the direct experience of reality, it occurs only now, only in that present um, direct experience of the moment, not it can't it can't happen through mental construct, through idea. So there's that. And then the richness of the word atta can mean now, it can mean then, and it can mean therefore. And so there's a sense uh, that is indicated of auspiciousness. Mm. That meaning, okay, pay attention, you know, here you are in this moment in your life, you have come to this juncture, this opportunity to study yoga, which may be one of the most profound things that you ever do in your life. If you pay attention, if you take it seriously, if you take up the practice. So uh, heads up, pay attention. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You're, you pointed to something that has always been so interesting to me that these words in Sanskrit have such depth, you know, to them. And that's why there are so many different translations, so many different commentaries and translations on this very, this is basically looks like three words, Atta, Yoga, Nusashanam, and yet they're translated in a lot of different ways in the different commentaries and translations of, of the, of the Yoga Sutra. So with that, we have just about come to the end of the first segment um, you're listening to The Yoga Hour with author, poet, and spiritual teacher, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. And we're discussing one of the essential texts of yoga, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. Yogacharya offers many online classes and programs and has authored several books, which you can learn more about at her website, ellengraceobrien.com, and also at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment website, csecenter.org. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. We'll be right back. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. 
You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. Insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back from the break. This is Dr. Laurel Trujillo, and I'm here with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien discussing Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. So we, where we left off before the break, we were talking about uh, the very first sutra, 1.1, which Ray Jean Davis translates as, Now instruction in yoga in accord with an established tradition begins. And in Sanskrit, as I mentioned, it's atta yoga nusashanam. And we talked about atta and how it has this significance, this auspicious aspect in this idea of now. But turning to the rest of this sutra, why is it important to realize that we are studying within an established tradition? Why is it important to know that this isn't a startup? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, we never know if a, a startup is going to make it. You know, it might be a good idea. Right. And so, right. so it's helpful to know <laughs> that this philosophy has been time-tested. It's been around for thousands of years. And there's an indication in the word anu, anushasanam, that um, potentially is saying that this is a continuing tradition. And so that, that reference is, you know, supports that this is a compilation of ancient wisdom. It, it, you know, it wasn't a, a new system that was just made up, but it is a rising uh, you know, as I said, I love that way of thinking of it on this matrix, you know, of um, the the direct um, experience of reality that is witnessed by the rishis and the saints and the sages, you know, through thousands of years. Um, so that's what's indicated there. But also, I would say that, you know, each yoga tradition has its own way of viewing the teachings and practices of yoga that, you know, has the same um, deep uh, agreement about what it is, but they, but they all have a little different emphasis. And so that's why you have, you know, so many different uh, commentaries because it'll be seen, you know, through the lens of that uh, lineage and um, so for those practicing Kriya Yoga, it is, I think, important to note that when Paramahansa Yogananda came to America in 1920, his guru, Swami Sri Yukteswar, told him to teach the yoga of Patanjali. And, you know, that was in 1920. That was before yoga studios in America Right. And before yoga had become popular, you know, I think people in America most didn't really even know what yoga was. Few, you know, few had been exposed to Eastern philosophies. You know, some the um, the transcendentalists were becoming, you know, aware of that. So it's 
it's curious, um, you know, why would his guru recommend Patanjali's Yoga Sutra? Several reasons, you know, one is that it's, it it is in a sense scientifically based in meaning Mm -hmm. it is systematic. It's based on experience that can be proved out, um, you know, a method that can be proved out in one's experience. Um, it has a universal approach, although it is um, theistic, meaning it it differs from Samkhya in that respect, where it brings in God, you know, it brings in surrender to God as a method. It it is not um, specific about you know, how one um, thinks of that reality called God, nor does it insist on that being necessary. So there was lots of room there um, for uh, people in the West, people in America who have that kind of scientific bent, you know, prove it, I want to see it, and who also, um, you know, are keen on religious freedom, so to have a, a text that said, you know, well, you can look at it this way, you can approach it that way. You know, there are many ways um, for you to prove this out in your experience. I think that was all um, attractive, you know, to the American mind. Plus, you know, it's one of the quickest ways um, for people to change their consciousness, which the gurus in our tradition were up to. You know, they wanted to help people wake up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, begin to live, uh, you know, a healthier, more conscious uh, life. And I must say that is one of the big attractions to me and the um, richness of the text for me is the personal experience part, mm-hmm. that it is something that you can read about, but it is not asking you just to believe Mm-hmm. It is saying this, like we're going to talk about in a minute, 1.2. And that is something that then you can experience yourself, you know, in meditation. And with that, let's turn there. So Mr. Davis translates Sutra 1.2 as Samadhi is experienced when fluctuations and changes in the meditator's awareness are restrained and pacified. So let me read that again. Samadhi is experienced when fluctuations and changes in the meditator's awareness are restrained and pacified. So let's start with what is Samadhi? So the, the, um, um, sut- the sutra, Mr. Davis's translation begins with Samadhi. So begin with what is Samadhi? Well, the Sanskrit um definition of samadhi if you take the word just looking at that word it means to hold together completely so then of course we have to ask well to hold what together (laughs) Um, you know and it is holding our attention and our awareness um, steadily on a on either a subtle object of perception, such as inner light or inner sound, which would be samprajnata samadhi, um, which would be that uh, holding together completely our union with the subtle object of perception. So union with inner light, inner sound, uh, inner um, subtle experience like bliss or peace. Um, and then there is the what is called the higher samadhi or asamprajnata samadhi, which is our attention and awareness 
resting not in an object of perception, an objectless um, experience, direct experience of our essence of being. So there's the, really those two forms of samadhi, um, samadhi with support as an object of perception, samadhi without support. Um, another book I would like to share with our, our students, our <laughs> listeners, um, is a concise dictionary of Indian philosophy, Sanskrit terms defined in English by John Grimes. That's a frequent um, resource that I use. And so I just thought, well, we, we look at what he, how he defines samadhi. Um, several ways, you know, one pointedness, concentration, absorption, union, a calm, desireless fixity, a unifying concentration, equal mind, um, from the uh, verb root da to hold, and the prefix uh, sam together uh, completely, a deep spiritual meditation or a meditative union with the absolute, mm. a superconscious state where there is complete absorption of the intellect into the object of meditation, uh, a state beyond expression and above all thought. Here, speech and mind cannot reach. It's a state of utter calmness in which consciousness is unwavering. And, you know, there's more, but th that's really right. helpful, isn't it? Yes. Yes, very much so. And again, pointing to the multiple meanings of the word that is so rich and that we don't really have, as you could tell by all of the words he took to describe it, there's not really an English word that really, that really means the same thing. So it's lovely that we have these Sanskrit words that have such depth of meaning. So one of the things that you just mentioned was this idea of super consciousness. Super consciousness meditation means that um, this uh, desirable state of mind, superconscious meditation, is beyond thought and cannot be reached by a conscious thought, although it can be experienced. So here's what the sutra says again, samadhi is experienced when fluctuations and changes in the meditator's awareness are restrained and pacified. So you end up with this puzzle, how can you restrain and pacify something that is beyond thought. So in other words, we can't think them away. <laughs> How are these fluctuations in awareness to be restrained if it can't be done by thinking them away? Well, you know, one of the greatest revelations that we have, I think, early on as practitioners, you know, on the path of Kriya Yoga is that we are not the mind and we are not the thoughts in the mental field. And that is a completely life-transforming revelation. Yes. Um, and so, you know, the confusion about, well, how does that happen? You know, it comes first because we identify consciousness as the mind and consciousness being, you know, that whole process of thought activity. But in yoga, we learn, oh, Consciousness is not the mind. You know, consciousness is consciousness itself. It is the um, light of pure awareness, um, that which we are, um, which shines into the mental field, which makes cognition possible. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yoga shows us that what we are as pure consciousness, in a sense, is separate from the mind, 
from the mental field itself and from the thoughts that populate the mental field. So um, you, you come to understand that thought activity is um, simply um, motion in the mental field that then veils the perception, the direct perception of our essential nature. You know, we, we become so busy looking at the mind and the contents of the mind, using consciousness to be aware of the mind, the contents of the mind, the external environment, the objects of the senses, we become identified with all of that. But, mm -hmm. you know, when we learn how to sit, how to focus our attention and awareness on one thing, the mind stops moving from thought to thought, thing to thing. And then what happens is uh, thoughts will settle. And when thoughts settle, we realize that we are conscious without thought. And that is a revelation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is pointing to Sutra 1.3. So I think it's it's helpful to understand Sutra 1.2 that we've just been talking about, about the cessation of these fluctuations in the mind. And then looking at the next Sutra 1.3, which Mr. Davis translates as the seer then consciously abides in its own nature. So once again, the seer then consciously abides in its own nature. And although it sounds magical, where basically we've, you know, the restraint of the thoughts occurs in meditation, and then the seer, the witness consciousness, abides in its own nature. It's uh, almost automatic, right? So can you comment on that? It's important uh, to understand this sutra because one of the things it's pointing out to us is that through our meditation and spiritual practice, we're not trying to become spiritual. We're not trying to create a spiritual condition. Um, what it's saying is that, you know, what you are, the reality of your essence of being is always there. It's, it's always present. You are supreme consciousness itself. And um, that remains unmoving and unchanging. And through this process of meditation, you know, when you can, you, you begin to observe the nature of changes in the mental field, you are able to notice when they subside. And what remains is, you know, your own conscious awareness, your own self. Um, and, and then you begin to, to notice that there are changes in the um, it, it fluctuations and changing states of consciousness that occur all the time that before perhaps you didn't, you didn't even think about, you know, so, you know, we move, for example, from the waking state to the sleep state is a change in our state of consciousness, our awareness. However, what we are as supreme consciousness does not move and does not change. It's the ground of being um, upon which all those changes uh, arise and subside. So, you know, you, what you are as a spiritual being, doesn't sleep. And in fact, it points to you actually, you know, we're not born and you do not die. You know, this uh, consciousness is supremely um, 
awake, aware, uh, infinite, eternal, unmoving, unchanging. So it's a very radical thing that this <laughs> points us to. So yes, when the thoughts uh, subside, and you know, my teacher used to say, you know, just sit long enough, and they'll subside. <laughs> you know, he was so practical, it really, and it's really true. You know, those pe- sometimes people struggle so much with meditation. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I'm trying focusing on my mantra, I'm focusing on my breath. You know, my mind is here and there and everywhere. Um, and he would say, you know, just intend to meditate, just pay attention, notice what's arising, what's falling away, just sit long enough. Um, you know, with a good posture and with some awareness and you'll, and soon enough, you know, the thoughts will subside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so hopeful. That's such a hopeful <laughs> message to me. <laughs> so let's just do a quick recap. So um, we started out with uh, 1.1. Now instruction in yoga in accord with an established tradition begins. Went to 1.2, samadhi is experienced when fluctuations and changes in the meditator's awareness are restrained and pacified. And then 1.3, the seer then consciously abides in its own nature. And then to round out this top four, the next sutra 1.4, Mr. Davis translates as, at other times, one is inclined to identify with the changes and transformations that occur in the mind and awareness. So once again, at other times, one is inclined to identify with the changes and transformations that occur in the mind and awareness. So it really points to what you've already mentioned, which is that we tend to identify with the thoughts. So what is the relationship of this sutra to identifying ourselves with ego, to having an ego-based awareness? Well, one of the things we learn by studying yoga and observing the nature of the mind um, is we can begin to loosen that grip of of ego. You know, people talk about ego as if it's a real thing, <laughs> and <laughs> and we and we do experience, of course, the effects of being identified um, with the contents of our own mind and the patterns in the mind. But according to yoga philosophy, you know, ego is a is a mental construct. You know, you you can't really find ego anywhere. Um, but people become very entrenched in talking about ego. So one of the insights is is to begin to understand that it's a function of the mind in in terms of the way in which we you know, relate as an individualized um, expression of infinite uh, reality. So we don't have to so firmly identify ourselves, you know, as separate from the source, um, as um, uh, as the mind uh, and the contents of our mind, as the body. We see that there are two... Um, you know, these first four sutras, I often tell people if, you know, if you just memorize those first four and contemplate those, you'd really get the whole of yoga and yoga mm-hmm. philosophy because it, very deeply it's there. And it's telling us there's two directions, you know, for our attention and awareness to flow in. You know, one is that our attention and awareness can flow um, more deeply inward, you know, towards um our essence of being and be grounded in awareness of our essence. 
um, not identified with mind-body external conditions, or our attention can flow outward um, into the mind, through the mind, <laughs> into the objects of the senses. And we can be, fr and when we do that, you know, we, we very often become forgetful of, you know, what we really are. We, we get wrapped up in the conditions of our mind. You know, we get, we get worried, um, we get fearful, um, all of those things, you know, come out of becoming, uh, attached to, uh, the contents of our own mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that you need to leave in uh, a few minutes, and I wanted to give you a chance to do our, our usual last question, which is, uh, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? Thank you for this time together this morning and diving into Yoga Sutra. I've really um, enjoyed it. And uh, I, I want to say you know, that for me, and I hope it's infectious, you know, from our, from our conversation and from what I've had to say, I think one of the most valuable things, if you're inclined, you know, towards meditation, um, if you're looking for, you know, a way, um, in a sense to find freedom, I think that was another interest, a great interest that I had, you know, I wanted to be able to know things for myself, but I also wanted to be free. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to be free from being overly influenced by other people. And that included other, you know, systems, whether it was, you know, religious systems or whatever it was, you know, I, I wanted to be free. And then I discovered, you know, I wanted to be free um, from myself. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I want to uh, encourage people to um, study and to practice. You know, sometimes people, you know, begin to meditate and um, they look for meditation to do it all. But in Kriya Yoga, as we'll talk about later, um, there's a, a plan that says, yes, you know, meditation is essential and it's probably the most powerful practice that you'll take up. However, study um, is also essential you know, study the nature of reality, the nature of your own mind, study how to live an ethical, conscious, um, successful, happy, satisfying, serviceful life. And I think all of that is possible. So thank you for being with me on Yoga Hour um, today. And um, as Lahiri Mahashaya said in our tradition, keep on keeping on, study, right. practice. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for your words of wisdom and for this introduction for people who may not have been familiar with uh, with the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And we will continue the discussion in a few weeks. So you can go and I will speak with you, you again in a couple of weeks. And um, I wanted to talk for a minute after Yogacharya has left us to talk about the Asatoma prayer that we use at Spirit Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. It's the prayer that we begin, Sanskrit prayer, that we begin our meditation every morning, 6.30 to 7.30, and also we begin programs with it. And one of the lines of the opening prayer 
is um, to your requesting um, lead us from identifying with the changing body and mind to the realization of our own immortal divine nature. So I think this is that prayer of asking for what Yogacharya was just pointing to, asking for freedom from freedom from ourselves, understanding of what we really are. And uh, it's really a beautiful, beautiful prayer. And with that, we've come to the end of this show. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. And we've been discussing wisdom from Patanjali's Yoga Sutra with the Yoga Hour's founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, who is an internationally acclaimed spiritual teacher, author, poet, and also the founder and director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. You can learn more about her upcoming programs, books, and online classes at her website, ellengraceobrien.com. You can also hear many of her online talks on her YouTube channel, Ellen Grace O'Brien. We encourage you to join us for the many online programs offered by Yogacharya O'Brien and the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, including morning meditation that I just mentioned. It's 6.30 to 7.30 every day. 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. Pacific. There's also weekday afternoon meditation from 4 to 4.30 p.m. Pacific and Sunday satsangs from 10 to 11 a.m. every Sunday. If you have enjoyed this conversation about Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, please join us for the upcoming retreat, Master Your Mind, Insights and Practices from Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, which will be held April 15th to 18th, 2021. Listeners can register at csecenter.org. Join us next time when I will be joined by Dr. Larry Ward for a program titled Transforming America's Racial Karma. Dr. Ward is a Dharma teacher in Thich Nhat Hanh's Plum Village tradition. He is also co-founder and director of the Lotus Institute and author of the book America's Racial Karma, An Invitation to Heal. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment Meditation Center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 